mouth is the most powerful part of the body. It was Solomon who said in Proverbs 14, life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's estimated that the average person spends one-fifth of his or her life talking. Now, of course, this will depend on the person. It might even depend on the occupation. My life might be a little bit more than some of your lives. But about a fifth of our life is spent talking. The average person in an average day will speak enough words to publish a 50-page booklet. In a lifetime, it equals to about 3,000 large volumes or 1,500,000 pages of words that we speak. Of course, men and women are different in this, right? Researchers tell us that women have greater linguistic abilities. Notice how carefully I phrase that. (laughs) Different linguistic, greater linguistic abilities than men. That's just the way it is. It's just the way God made us. So that uh, God may give a gal 50,000 words a day to speak and the guy perhaps 25 or 30,000 words per day to speak. Now what that might mean is that by the time the man gets home from a hard day's work, he may have already used up 25 4,950 words. He's done. (laughs) She's just getting started. And so the communication is different. But the issue isn't the amount of words, nor is it the accuracy of the words, but if the words spoken by an individual are matched by the person's lifestyle. That is at issue here in our relationships with God. Not the number, not the accuracy, but the life. You can make the right speech and you can miss the right stuff. You can say the right words, but you can miss what's really right behind the words. Once upon a time, there was a goat. The goat wanted more than anything else to be a lion. And this goat convinced himself that if he could talk like a lion and walk like a lion and go where lions go, that the goat would be a lion. So the goat practiced really hard. The goat one day tried to walk majestically through the jungle like the king of beasts would walk, stalking, swaying as he went, swishing that stubby little tail back and forth majestically. It even tried to turn that pitiful little bleat into a deep roar of a lion. Finally, wouldn't you know it, that little goat convinced himself that he was a lion. All he had to do, he thought, now that he could walk and talk like a lion, is go where lions go and he would be one. So one day, about lunchtime, the goat decided to walk where lions walk. End of story. (laughs) End of goat. There's a lot of people who think, likewise, if they walk like Christians walk and talk like Christians talk and go where Christians go, they'll be a Christian. 
But one day, they will stand before God. End of story. End of goat. As Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats. It's more than just what you say or the amount of words that we say, but is it backed up by a lifestyle? So, in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The shocking word in those three sentences to me is the word many. Many will say, many will come to me in that day. Not just a few, but a large amount. A lot of people whose lip and life are not in harmony together. They don't agree with each other. They will sing kingdom songs, but not be in the kingdom. They might recite kingdom creeds, but not be in the kingdom. They might even pray to the king of the kingdom, yet not be a part of the kingdom. Many people will come and say, or as William Gurnall, the commentator, said, they love God with their lip with their mouths, but they love the world with their hearts. Having the right information without taking the right appropriate action can lead to destruction. Information without action can lead to destruction. Ask the 1,500 who were aboard the Titanic for its maiden voyage in 1912. The most luxurious, safest, best cruiser to hit the seas up to that point and it took off on its maiden voyage and as it crossed into the cold arctic waters another vessel sent a message to the titanic warning of icebergs and the man the operator in the wireless booth heard the message got the information but didn't take the appropriate action and it led to the destruction of 1500 lives So, this morning, we want to look at these three verses. We want to look at them. We want to consider them. We want to apply them to us. After all, Jesus spoke these words not to a group of heathens on the hill that day, but a group of religious people who were obsessed with making the right speech. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. So we want to look at making the right speech, but then missing the right stuff. See, you can make the right speech, and Jesus tells us what that means. This is the group that acknowledged the good Lord. Lord, Lord, they got it right. They had the right name. They acknowledged the good Lord. They affirmed good words. Have we not prophesied in your name? And they even accomplished good deeds. We've done many wonders and cast out demons. But there was something missing. They made the right speech. They missed the right stuff. So we begin in verse 21 by what they had, what they acknowledged. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, 
Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? You'll notice that they first acknowledged the good Lord. They got it right. They somehow affixed the title of deity to Jesus. They're going to say to me, Jesus said, Lord. So somehow there is the understanding that Jesus is Lord with this group. By the way, the term Lord in Jewish culture was often a substitute for the divine name Yahweh or Jehovah. You know the Jews wouldn't say the name of God. They'd never pronounce it. It was the ineffable, unpronounceable, totally unique name of God. So they wouldn't even say God. They wouldn't say Yahweh. They wouldn't say Jehovah. They would just say the name. Blessed be the name The name has spoken. So we don't know how to pronounce the name. They would often then substitute the term Lord for the very name of God. So there is this acknowledgement that Jesus is the Lord. He's divine. But then notice the word is used twice. Lord, Lord. Many will say, Lord, Lord. That inserts emotion into it. Because to say the word twice denotes passion fervor, emotion. Notice three times in verse 22, in your name is mentioned. Look at that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but then verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. They had the right verbal profession. That's my point. And let me just say, having the right verbal profession is important. It is crucial to have the right stuff, to say the right stuff, to know the right stuff, to say the right words. In Romans chapter 10, we read, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So that's great, but here's the point. Having the right verbal profession isn't enough. It can't stand alone. You know what James chapter 2 says. Faith without works is dead. So having the right words is the beginning. It's essential, but it's not enough. It doesn't stand alone. Oh, about four out of five Americans claim to be Christians. Four out of five Americans claim to to have some form of Christianity. 25% to 50%, depending on which poll you read and believe, claim to be born-again Christians, having the right words. Back in World War II, a German pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined a very famous phrase called cheap grace, cheap grace. And he accused the church in many segments of the society as as believing in, promoting what he called cheap grace. And then he defines it. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. So, in our text, these folks said Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's the problem. They said He was Lord. They didn't submit to Him 
as Lord. They had the eternal language. They just didn't have eternal life. So they acknowledged the good Lord. Second thing I want you to notice is that they affirmed good words. They prophesied in his name. Lord, Lord, don't you remember the times we spoke for you? We were your spokespeople. We prophesied in your name. Now this to me is interesting. It shows me that the warning uh, goes past the pew and up into the pulpit now. Just because a person stands in a pulpit and speaks right words and prophesies and gives messages and is a seminary graduate, many will say, Lord, we have prophesied in your name. Can that be? Could it be that somebody trained in Scripture who spends lots of time in the Bible could actually be totally missing it in terms of a walk and relationship with God? Oh, absolutely. Just ask Aquila and Priscilla. You go, who? Aquila and Priscilla, they were over in the book of Acts and they met a guy named Apollos from Alexandria, Egypt. He was a Jewish fella. He had heard of the baptism of John the Baptist. That's about all he knew. He knew about water baptism. uh, And he preached very fervently. In Acts chapter 18, it says he was an eloquent man, mighty in scripture and fervent in spirit. So he had heard of being baptized. He had heard of what Jesus told John the Baptist. He didn't know anything about the atonement on the cross, didn't know anything about the resurrection. He knew a partial gospel, but he was a very fervent communicator, preached powerfully, but was unsaved. And Aquila and Priscilla discipled him in the more perfect way into salvation. Martin Luther was another one. If you read about his life, Martin Luther will tell you, through his writings, not personally, of course, that he went to the Augustinian monastery in Erfurt, Germany, because he was concerned about his soul. And in being concerned about his soul, he studied and he pondered. He became a doctor of theology. He became an expert lecturer on the book of Psalms and Romans and Galatians and Hebrews, and he will admit he was unsaved while he taught all those books. Paul the Apostle said it's possible to speak with the tongue of men and of angels. And it's possible to have the gift of prophecy and fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and yet be, in his words, nothing. I remember one Christmas Eve service and I gave an altar call some years ago. And of all the people that came forward to receive Christ, there was one older gentleman who with tears in his eyes admitted, said, Skip, I've been an elder slash pastor of a church for many years, but until tonight, I never knew Jesus personally. So you can acknowledge the good Lord, you can affirm good words, and number three, you can accomplish good works even. Look further at our text. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons and done many wonders? Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me false believers claim to do that? People who are unsaved, casting out demons and doing wonders? How do we account for this? Three different ways. It could be that they didn't. It could be this is a false claim. They're just saying they did. 
course, I, I don't believe that's true. I don't think anybody's going to stand before God and try to con him into saying, well, you know, Lord, we did this, we did that. Try to lie to him. That would be ridiculous. Number two, it could be that they did these works in the power of God. Somehow, though unbelievers, they did it in the power of God. You say, is that possible? Well, it happened in the Bible. There was a guy named Balaam who was not a righteous man, but the word of God was in his mouth. God put his words in his mouth. Then there's the story of the high priest Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest who did not know, but he was prophesying that one man would die for the nation. He was unwittingly prophesying that year, though an unsaved Jewish elder, that Christ would die. Prophesied the word of God. Third possibility, it could be Satan's power. They did wonders and signs, and it was by the power of the devil. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week. But over in Acts chapter 8, there was a satanic sorcerer in Samaria by the name of Simon, who did signs. I know there's a lot of S's in that sentence, but those are all real ones. Those aren't just preacher ones. He he was an unsaved miracle worker, performed signs and wonders. Simon the sorcerer. Then later on in Acts chapter 19, the seven sons of Siva, more S's. I, I didn't make this up. It's right there. A Jewish exorcist, having some kind of power to work miraculous signs and wonders. But that really isn't the point. We don't know how they pulled it off. The point is, it's not enough to say the right words and have pizzazz. You need more. You can have the right speech, but you can miss the right stuff. These folks made the right speech, but they missed the right stuff. Do you remember the movie in 1983, The Right Stuff? Remember the rigorous test that those guys had to go through? to be Mercury 7 astronauts because they're going to be orbiting the Earth in that spacecraft. You have to have the right stuff. Well, this group made the right speech, but they were missing the right stuff. And what is the right stuff? Two things they were missing. Number one, they were missing a lifestyle. They were missing a lifestyle. Look at verse 23. They profess Jesus Christ, but in his words, they practice lawlessness. They practice lawlessness. I was reading about a doctor. Well, he wasn't a doctor. He said he was a doctor. He went to medical school three years. Didn't didn't make it through the four. Didn't have an internship. Didn't have a residency. But he knew medical talk. And so he could say words and he knew enough to be very, very dangerous. And he was very dangerous. And he was found out because he, he knew a lot, but he didn't know enough. He was practicing lawlessness. It was against the law. It was illegal. And he was killing people. And finally, he was discovered. He had a profession, but he didn't have a practice. Now, if you look in verse 23 where it says practice lawlessness, that's a key, practice. Because that's a present participle. And how that is translated is you continually, habitually practice lawlessness. Now, listen carefully. Anybody habitually, continually Practicing lawlessness proves they don't belong to Christ. See, now, wait a minute, Skip. Don't Christians sin? Yes. Don't Christians uh, fall into sin even a couple, two, three, four, five, maybe more times? Yes. Uh, 
do Christians ever deliberately sin? Yes, they do. But if they do, they're going to have a reaction much like Psalm 51, which is sorrow and repentance and a desire, a hate for it, a loathing for it, a desire to turn and eventually victory over it. That's the difference. I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 because it's a text of Scripture that is often neglected by, well, lots of professed believers, I suppose. 1 John chapter 3, and I think it will shed some light on it. In verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Verse 7, little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. He who sins, that's in the present tense, continually, habitually, makes it a practice and lifestyle of sin, is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not continually, habitually, as a lifestyle, practice sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot habitually, continually practice sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil, boy, he cuts right to the chase, doesn't he? He calls them children of God and children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is he who does not love his brother. So the big difference is this. A Christian is one to whom sin clings. An unbeliever is someone who clings to sin. We all struggle with sin. All of us do. But there's a difference in what we do with it. Now go back to our text and look at verse 21 once again. Not everyone who says... But he who does the will of my Father. That's also in the present tense. Whoever does. That is, whoever keeps on as a lifestyle, as a practice, doing the will of my Father in heaven. What is the issue here? The issue here is obedience, isn't it? Jesus said, Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? It's a good question. You call me Lord, but you don't do what I say. James says again, be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest you deceive your own self. Obedience does not produce salvation. It does not produce righteousness. It proves salvation. It proves righteousness. Irma Bombeck put it this way, never go to a doctor whose office plants have died. Isn't that good advice? Never go to a doctor who's off. If he can't take care of that, that simple biological life of a plant, you're going to trust him with your body? The same way, you're not going to go to a Christian and ask direction for your life if that Christian isn't living the life. Never go to a doctor whose house plants or office plants have died. Back to verse 23. Not only is he missing that, he's missing a relationship. He's missing a relationship. In verse 23 of Matthew chapter 7, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. 
The word know here means to know personally, authentically, in a relationship way. The Greek word is gnosko. And it doesn't mean to be aware. God isn't saying, now, I'm not aware of you. It's not like a judgment. He's going to go, and you are, and your name is, that's not what he means by I never knew you. He's not saying, I don't understand about you. He's not saying, I don't know who you are. But I never knew you personally. We never had contact. We never hung out much. There's not that personal relationship. Do you know the president? Well, you know who he is. You know what he looks like. I can't say I know the president. I opened up one time in prayer for him. He signed my Bible. But I can't say I know him. I shook his hand. I went, wow. I got invited to the White House. I went, wow, wow. But I don't know him. There's no real personal relationship that goes on. And that's the idea. That gnosko. That personal acquaintance. One translation puts it this way. Jesus said, I never came to know you experientially. I never knew you as my disciple. How do you get to know God? You've got to be born into his family. As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God, to those that believe in, trust in, rely on his name. That's the key then. The key isn't just walking like lions walk and talking like lions talk. You have to be born into that family. So what do we learn? It's possible to have a profession without a practice, to have words without works, speech without stuff. James' famous saying, let's put it all together, faith without works is dead. But Paul basically said, works without faith is dead too. You need both. You're saved by faith alone. However, it's not all alone. It's faith without works. That's how you're saved. But a faith that is true faith will work. It will produce something. It's by faith alone. That's what justifies, but not faith which is alone. The confession must be attached to something else. So if you were to advise that goat, what would you advise the goat? You'd say, no, no, don't try to act like a lion. Don't try to talk like a lion. Don't try to walk like a lion. Little goat, your only hope is for you to die and be born again as a lion. You've got to be born again as a lion. That's your only hope. You have to actually be one. You can't act like one. So to be a child of God, you can't talk like one and walk like one and go where they go. You have to die to the old you and be born again. That's what Jesus said. You must be born again or you'll never see the kingdom of God. There was a man in Japan that uh, was in the imperial orchestra, played for the emperor. The real kicker is, couldn't read a note of music, couldn't play an instrument. He was wealthy, and he wanted to buy himself a position in the orchestra, so he did. He put up the money, and he said, I want to play before the emperor of Japan. They put him in the second row with a flute. And... Uh, Whenever his time came, there were other flautists around. He would raise up the flute, pucker his lips, and go. But never made a sound because he couldn't read a note of music. 
This deception continued for two years till finally they got a, a whole new orchestra leader who demanded that everybody in the orchestra personally audition before him so he knew where to place them. Well, this guy was scared. And he kept saying he was sick, couldn't make it. He was sick. Something came up. But the orchestra leader demanded everyone audition. Finally, the flautist had to admit he was a fake he was unable, and here is where we get the term, he was unable to face the music. He couldn't face the music. He was a fake. And what Jesus is saying is that there will come a day when God will expect you to face the music. And everything will be laid out. There will be a harvest, the Bible says, of separation. Wheat from tares, sheep from goats. Remember, remember, right information without right action will lead to, can lead to, destruction. By the way, you know what that operator said on the Titanic when the message came there were icebergs in the area? He wired back and he said, Shut up. Shut up. We're busy. You know, I know a lot of people that basically say that when you tell them, You need to make a decision about Christ now. Shut up. I'm busy. Not today. Later on, I've got time. Now's the time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, your word shows us a common theme. And that theme is we can make the right speech, but we can miss the right stuff. We can acknowledge the good Lord, we can affirm good words. We can have accomplished great works, but we can be missing action and thus relationship because it's, it's just veneer. It's just outward, never penetrated. And it's not the lasting kind of outward works that prove faith. So, Lord, here now in this place, we ask, that you would touch not only kids who are making a decision for Christ, but some adults who have come. And they've come where Christians are. And they've even sung what Christians sing and have read what Christians read. But the honest truth is, they're not. And so, Father, we pray, because of your great love and grace, that they will become born again in your kingdom. That as an act of faith, they will receive the Son of God. And as we're praying right now with our, our heads are bowed, we're thinking about this, we're thinking about our lives. As you're doing that, you might be thinking, I've heard about this before, or I did this as a kid or many years ago but it's not really real in my life today. I want it to be real. I long to know the purpose and meaning of my life. I want my life to count. It comes through receiving God's only solution, His Son. So the information has gone out. What will you do with the information? as you're praying, as you're thinking, as you're listening. If 
if you realize you need Christ, and you do if you don't personally know him, I want you to raise your hand up as our heads are bowed, just so I can see your hands. I'm going to pray for you as we close. God bless you. Yes, man. Anybody else? Raise it up so I can see. Just put your hand up in the air. Whether you're in the back, the balcony, middle, front. Anyone else? Raise your hand up. Yes, sir. A few of you. Lord, make this real. Make this count. We're dealing with eternal things here, Father. We don't want to mess around with this. And Lord, we long for the kind of changes that are lasting, that are real, that others will see. Is there anybody else? Slip that hand up. God bless you, sir. Lord, we thank you for these honest ones who are about to become brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Thank you, Lord. We rejoice in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask you to do something now. Listen carefully. If you raise your hand, some of you raised it high, and I saw a few of you go like this. That's, That's...